0: The Apostle Paul makes a quite startling statement. Every single one of us is a slave. The issue is, to whom are you a slave? Last week in the first half of chapter 6, we heard again from Christ's Apostle Paul of that life-changing, life-transforming work of grace which God performs in the soul of every single sinner. And you become a Christian. You're not a Christian unless God has done this to you and in you and for you, that by the power of his Holy Spirit, the truths of the gospel concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, everything he has done which is why we've been singing so much of that in the opening part of our service the perfect and sinless life of the man who is God with us his atoning redeeming death on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins his victory over death and the grave his being raised again to the power of an endless life these truths impressed upon your heart and your mind being convicted of your sins born again of God's spirit and you turn from your sins to the Lord Jesus in trusting and believing faith seeking to leave everything that was the old you behind turning around to follow him And when that happens, you cease to be a slave of sin. As we were reminded last week, you have died with Christ. You died in Christ at the cross. You died to sin and you've been made alive. You've been made alive in him, to him, by him, for him. And now you are a slave to Christ and to righteousness. And Paul wants to explore this a little further And he wants to consider some of the ramifications of all of this. What then does this mean for you and for me? Much of our Christian living, many of our Christian struggles, will depend upon just how much of these basic truths we've understood and taken to heart. A couple of years ago, the Boeing Aircraft Corporation released a new upgraded version ...of an existing aircraft. It looked much like all the others. There were a few subtle hints... ...as to the changes that they had introduced. They wanted to be able to both improve its performance... ...and make it cheaper to run... ...and make it better for the environment. But... ...the plane had not been in service... ...for much more than six months and two of them crashed with no survivors. This is within the last few years. What had caused the problem? Very reluctantly, Boeing were forced to admit their error. A new piece of computer software had been installed on the flight control system. It was designed to take over from the pilot If ever the aircraft got into a dangerous situation in the air, it would correct the error, it would bring the aircraft back into stable flight. But there were a few flaws in the system. The system had not been properly explained to the pilots who'd started to fly the plane. They hadn't been able to practice in the flight simulators the way they should have done. They thought they knew how to fly it. These were experienced pilots who'd flown all the old versions. But there was this one thing, just one thing, they didn't understand. One thing that hadn't been explained to them, how it all worked and what it did. And how they should deal with it at the flight controls when this thing kicked in. And that's what caused them to crash as they unwittingly struggled against it at the controls. Paul is wanting to be very careful that we understand how all of this is supposed to work in our lives. So that we don't come crashing down in our walk of faith. He lays out all of the components of the gospel, but he also wants to explain to us how they all work, what they're supposed to do. Hence, all those, these kinds of words and phrases that Paul uses all through this section. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, asking questions? Do you not know? Therefore, if we have been, certainly we also shall be, knowing this, knowing that. Likewise, you also. If you pay no attention, well, you can still be a Christian, but you might end up being a very confused and frustrated Christian, one who's regularly struggling perhaps not particularly fruitful in your life. Paul is teaching us how all of these truths fit together, work together, how they're interlinked and interrelated in order to produce something in us. And if we, if we sit up and take notice and we're ready to learn and grow, well, God willing, many of the frustrations and struggles that we have Will become less and gradually fewer. Although I'm not promising that eventually you'll be living with no frustrations or struggles, but you'll grow in understanding of how God is at work in your life and in this world. There are some clear parallels between this chapter and some of the things that we've been learning from Christ in Matthew chapter 6 where he talks there about knowing what and where your treasure is and that you cannot serve two masters. Being clear on these truths, knowing where you stand personally is absolutely vital. And the truths that we're considering this evening, these truths will will determine where you spend eternity. And this evening we're going to consider three sets of two. The Bible and the Gospel consistently and repeatedly present you with two options and only two two types of life two different kingdoms to choose between two types of heart two different gates to walk through two different roads to walk upon and all of you says Paul in Romans chapter 6 must decide this evening between two types of slavery two types of behavior And two destinations. Every single one of us here, these are your options this evening with the Word of God in front of you. Two types of slavery, two types of behavior, two destinations. Well, let's look at the first of those two types of slavery. Verse 16, don't you know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, because we're all a slave to something, you are that one's slave who you obey? Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about where your treasure is and where you're laying up your treasure and who your master is. Paul considers it here from the, pers- the perspective of the one to whom you are a slave. And firstly, here is the condition into which all of us are born, every single one of us. And I'm not going back over everything that we've covered, but it's all laid out for us in no uncertain terms in the opening five chapters of this letter. But here, Paul summarizes summarizes it like this. If you look at verse 16, verse 17, verse 20, slaves of sin leading to death. Verse 19, slaves of uncleanness leading. And of lawlessness. That's all of us in the condition in which we are born. The natural state that all of us are in. Slaves of sin leading to death. Slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness. Uncleanness, that's the state of our heart before God. Lawlessness, that's all the things we do because of the state of our heart. It's been estimated that at the time of the New Testament, the city of Rome had a population of which between 30 and 40 percent were slaves it's been estimated that across the roman empire at any one time there may have been as many as four or five million slaves if you were a slave you had no rights whatsoever you were the property of the person who owned you you would remain that way until you died, or until you were of no further use to them, in which case they might sell you to someone else, or they might simply discard you, like you would th- put your bin out every fortnight, and just, you'd just be cast aside and left destitute, perhaps. You lived only to serve your master or mistress. You were at their bidding 24 hours a day for all of your life. If you displeased your master... They could strike you dead. And back then, no one would bat an eyelid. It was just a slave, they would say. Your choices and options, such as they were, they were all limited and determined by your master. No hope of ever breaking free. All of these constraints which were forced upon you because you are a slave... It wasn't unknown for husbands and wives to serve together as slaves within the same household. And if they had any children, their children would automatically become slaves. The property of their master. They were literally born into slavery. And so are all of us. That's why Paul uses uh, this language to, to explain our condition We're held in the grip of Satan. We're held in the grip of our own sinfulness. And we have no means of escape. And such free will and freedom freedom of choice as we might suppose we have, it's so dominated by our sinfulness, so subservient to our sinful nature, that we are held in captivity by our sins. And sin runs through everything that we do. The decisions and the choices that we make, the thoughts and the intents of our hearts, our words and our actions, they demonstrate over and over that we are obeying and following our sinful nature when we're in our sin. Of course, when we are in our sin, we don't see it like that. We would protest that people who would suggest that these things are true of us but that is our spiritual condition before God. And that perhaps is where some of you are standing this evening. Because every single one in this room is one of two types of slave right now. One of the evidences that you might be one of these slaves, a slave to sin, is your refusal to obey God's command that you need to repent of your sin. And you refuse to do it because you're a slave in your sin. Why is it that you won't believe and trust in Christ? It's because you are obeying the one to whom you are a slave. And it's because you are a slave to it, Paul Paul explains here. But the Lord Jesus came into the world to save sinners and he bids you come to him. That he might set you free. It's what he's come to do. To free us from this slavery. And if you will. Your life is transformed. All here who are trusting in Christ. This is what God has done. He's set you free from this slavery. He's transformed you completely. So that now. What you are, verse 16, is a slave of obedience, leading to righteousness. Now, verses 17 and 19, you're a slave of righteousness for holiness. Now, verse 20, you've been set free from sin, having become slaves of God. Everything's changed. You're still a slave, but you're not a slave like you used to be because you're master is not as he used to be. It's a complete turnaround. It's a total transition from one position to another. We're now in precisely the opposite place from where we once stood. Paul is incredulous at the suggestion that any Christian could think that because of God's grace, it's okay to carry on as we were before. Everything which once typified you as an unconverted, selfish, proud, rebellious lawbreaker. It's all being completely overturned in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. To, to think now upon yourself as you used to be, to find yourself entertaining all those old thoughts and attitudes continuing to dabble and flirt and walk dangerously close to all of those things which now have no place in your life. Don't all those things now fill you with shame? Verse 21. The one to whom you now present yourself to obey is Christ. And if you're truly born again, you know in the depth of your soul that henceforth it can be no other way. I'm a slave to him. I follow him. I've been bought at a very great price. And I belong to Christ now. Who are you obeying? Who will you be obeying when you awake Tomorrow morning who will you be obeying as you go about your day tomorrow for the most part it will be obvious because these two types of slave display two types of behavior On the one hand, you have slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness. And on the other side, slaves of obedience leading to righteousness and holiness. And those two positions are worlds apart. So, on the far side of the park, along Ullup Road, Two cars and they get to the end of Ullet Road and they turn left onto Egberth Road, down along Egberth Road onto St. Mary's Road and through towards the Mersey Retail Park down at the bottom there. Behind the wheel of one car, a driver who has in front of them a copy of the highway code and he has decided, she has decided. But by the time they get to the Mersey Retail Park, they're going to see how many of those rules of the road they can break. The other driver there's a driver who knows the highway code off by heart, who carefully abides by all of its precepts as they make their way down Egworth Road. And you are a pedestrian walking down the footpath and you watch both of these cars drive past. Question. Would you know which car is which? Would you know which driver is which? You most certainly would. The guy who's decided to break every rule in the road, you might not even be safe on the pavement, might you? It would be clear and obvious which one is which. Who you are obeying determines the kind of behaviour that will be seen in you. As surely as you would know which of those two drivers was which. Whilst in our sin we may think we are free. We're actually slaves to sin. The evidence is everywhere for all to see. It doesn't take any effort at all in our sins to give in to sinful temptations. It's easy. Lies. Slip off the tongue, even before you've had time to think about it. An inbuilt lust, an inbuilt covetousness draws your eyes to look at this and that and this and drink it in. The need to to gratify and satisfy all your desires so strong, you so easily give in to it taking offense when others speak to you, holding grudges, harboring bitterness, wanting revenge, losing your temper. The urge to cheat. These are the natural responses of the slave to sin and they just keep on repeating themselves over and over. And why? It's because you are that one's slave who you obey. And so that's how you present yourself. And it shows itself most fully in loving what God hates and hating what God loves. (coughs) Uncleanness and lawlessness. Those things which before a pure and holy God are a defilement and an abomination and a perversion, but which the sinful heart just excuses. It feels good to me. It's not harming you. So who cares? Those things which are just an outright rejection of and rebellion against the person and the authority of God. I decide what's right for me. I decide who and what I'll love because I am the captain of my soul. And God's commandments are trampled underfoot in lawlessness. Verse 19, you present your members as leading to more lawlessness, it just keeps on growing. Over time, you seek ever, sink ever deeper into your sins. Sometimes that results in becoming more and more sinful and increasing in wickedness. It might not always be a, a huge increase in wickedness necessarily, but you actually become more and more comfortable in your sins. You become less and less troubled by your sins. You have no problem at all continuing in them in, as a slave to sin. Sometimes it's all of that. Verse 20 When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, even though you knew what was the righteous thing to do, you had no problem at all in choosing unrighteousness. It feels free and easy to do that. What fruits of unrighteousness you knew in your sins, verse 21. But the Christian is different. You know, if you're a Christian, you know that's not you now. You know in your soul, that's not me anymore. I know that's, that's not how it is. You know you're not free now to choose unrighteous, uh, unrighteousness over righteousness. Now yes, sometimes you may, make, you may still make those wrong choices, but your conscience is so different now. What shame you feel in those things, verse 21. Your heart reacts now in a totally different way than it used to. Because now you're a slave to God and to righteousness and holiness. Your whole outlook, your whole demeanour has changed, hasn't it, if you're a Christian? Your thought life has changed. Your loves and your desires and your affections have changed. Your heart attitude toward God has changed. Obedience, righteousness, holiness. These are the things which grip you and direct you and drive you. You see, this is what Paul is wanting to just impress upon Christians again. How can you possibly consider continuing in sin or even increasing in sin? Look at verse 17. You obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Let me just say one thing here. If you're a Christian who rolls your eyes every time the word doctrine is mentioned, then I actually have to question whether you're truly born again. And I do that on the basis of verse 17. And many others like it. Being under grace is to obey doctrine from your heart. Being born again and converted is to be delivered to the doctrine of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Doctrine is simply teaching. What God teaches us in the gospel and through his word. That's what Paul is doing in this letter. He's teaching you. That's what you were like in your sin. And this is the answer that you need in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how he did it. And this is how it all works. And this is how it works out in your life. And he's just teaching and teaching and teaching. And it's this teaching which inside your soul, you are now saying, yes, yes, this is it. This is the gospel. This is my saviour. This is the salvation that I need. That was me in my sin. But everything now has changed. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17. That we would be sanctified by the word of God, which is truth. That's what sanctifies us. It's that truth which the Holy Spirit impresses upon our hearts and upon our souls and renews our minds. Your sinful life was characterized by lawlessness, your Christian life is characterized by obedience. If your profession is that you are no longer a slave to sin, leading to death, verse 16, then what are you a slave of? According to the Bible, you're a slave of obedience, leading to righteousness. You're only one or the other. There's no other option. And dear Christian brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, isn't your heart resonating with all of these truths? Can't you hear The comforting, prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, yes, this is you in Christ. This is what he's done for you. This is what's happened as you've been joined to him. To use one of Paul's favourite expressions, do you not know that these things are true in you? Surely you must. Such a change like this can't be something that we have no knowledge or experience of. Isn't your testimony as a Christian that it is God, it could only be God who has brought about so great a transformation in your life? Yes, you'll still have your struggles, but your struggles are no longer as one who was a slave to sin. Those struggles are gone. Now your struggles are as one who is seeking after righteousness in Christ, as one who's being called and is being drawn to live a life of holiness who knows that the path of righteousness in Christ is the only path that you can now walk. You used to have no problem whatsoever choosing the wrong path. But it's an issue for you now. The Lord Jesus Christ has changed that in you forever. We were reminded in Matthew 6 last week, your eyes now are fixed upon those things that they were never fixed on before. Aren't they? Eternal treasure which lasts forever. That inheritance which is yours in Christ. Of course they are. Of course they are. But if you're not a Christian. Particularly if you're not a Christian. You need to listen very carefully to this last little part. If you're a Christian you need to listen. But if you're not a Christian, you really need to listen. Because two types of slave, two types of behavior, two destinations. Either the wages of sin or the gift of God, either the judgment and condemnation and wrath of God which your sins deserve or the gift of God's grace salvation forgiveness of sins either death or everlasting life either paying the penalty for your own sins yourself when you stand before Christ as judge. Or enjoying that eternal inheritance. Which has been secured for sinners by the one who's already paid the penalty for us. In our place. That's the power of the cross as we sang earlier. The wages of sin is death. Adam. If you eat of that one fruit. You shall die surely die. Our souls belong to God, says the Bible, and the soul that sins shall die. Those who practice iniquity are deserving of death, says the Bible. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death entered the world through sin. All through the Bible, death is the result of sin and sin results in death. Sin and death, sin and death, sin and death. James chapter 1, verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Question, what is this death that the Bible keeps talking about? What is it? In the book of Revelation, we read of something which is called the second death. The first death is the death of our physical bodies. And we go to the grave. Unless Christ returns first. The first death is the death of our bodies. But we read of a second death. And the second death is the eternal punishment of every sinner who comes face to face with Christ the Judge as an unconverted, uncon- un- unsaved, unbeliever. And you receive the eternal punishment that your sins deserve. Romans chapter tw- uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The wages of sin is death. If you know that you are still a slave of sin, this second death awaits you. That is serious. This is urgent. But here's the message of the Gospel. God has demonstrated his own love toward you in that while you were still a sinner, christ died for you he so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that you might not perish that's the second death but have everlasting life and that's why chapter 6 of romans concludes as it does but now Having been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness. And the end? Everlasting life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you not turn to this Jesus for this salvation? And would you not live for him, you who are saved? Two types of slavery. Two types of behavior. Two destinations. You need to Get that sorted with the Lord this evening. Know in your soul whose slave you are, to whom you belong.